Hi, everybody. It's Lisa DeLay, and this is the Spark My Muse podcast. You're listening to episode 196, The Temptation of Lust and Fornication. That sounds like an awfully juicy topic. It's from chapter five in my book, The Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice. Chapter five is about weather fronts witnessing our afflicting thoughts. The first episode on temptation was gluttony, and I cover that first in my book. What I try to do in chapter five is talk about a wise desert father from the late 300s and early 400s named Evagrius Ponticus. He served as a guide to spiritual seekers who came to the desert for prayer and advice. He was one of 500,000 people who went to the desert to concentrate on their Christian devotion to God during the time when the Roman Empire took over Christianity and it became morphed into something of empire and connected with status, power, and wealth. People went to the desert for its austerity and its purifying nature. Much like Jesus went to the desert and was tempted for 40 days just prior to his ministry. I'm going to start reading from page 85 in my book for a few pages. If you're interested in the book, there's a short link you can use, tiny.cc forward slash wildland. That will take you to the Amazon page for this book. You can also go to tiny.cc wildindie, I-N-D-I-E, and that's capitalized, I-N-D-I-E, and that will take you to bookshop.org where you can order the book from an independent bookseller. Part one was gluttony. Part two is lust or fornication. I also want to say that fornication in the dictionary is defined as voluntary sexual intercourse between two unmarried persons or two persons not married to each other. It is a word occasionally used for idolatry in the Bible as well. Because ascetics in the desert were celibate, many were tempted by longing for intimate physical connection and sexual relations. At the time, sexual intercourse, even within the bounds of marriage, was thought of as distinctly carnal and too distracting from spiritual pursuits and a devoted religious life. Desert monastics often struggled with lust when remembering what their sexual lives were like before they left for the wilderness, or their afflicting thoughts would tempt them to violate their commitment to stay chaste. Generally, lust is connected with unbridled sexual desires and preoccupations. The Greek word for lust is pornea, from the word porneo. It is the source of our English word pornography. In the Bible, pornea is often used metaphorically to speak of worshiping idols. It is also used when referring to engaging in or indulging in a whole range of sexual lust or sexual activities. The afflicting thoughts will arrive most certainly, but it is our involvement with them that creates the problems. If we are inattentive to them, they pass. The virtue that counterbalances lust is chastity, which is also known as self-restraint. The ascetics knew and meditated on the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Inspired by the Beatitudes, they set their course to accomplish what Jesus proffered, quote, the pure in heart will see God. Unquote. Remember from chapter 2 that the heart here is not referring to the emotional seat of the person, but to the core of our beings when the control center from which decisions and behavior emerge is uncontaminated, God is unobscured to us. When our cores are unadulterated, we can also hear and perceive how to live better. 
When we know beforehand that the weather of lust is sure to blow through, we are prepared to stay uncorrupted and uncompromised at the command center of our lives. Our commitments can be kept, and there is no need to pretend that we are never tempted. We can build checks and balances and other methods of accountability and assistance into our lives. We can live with honest confession and transparency when the normal occurrences like the afflicting thoughts of lust emerge. What we choose to do about lust or any of the thought ruts reveals how much we are allowing the spirit to work in us. So what are the other thought ruts? Evagrius lists eight. Eventually, hundreds of years later, Pope Gregory the Great took the work of Evagrius on this topic and came up with the seven deadly sins. He added one, he took away another, he combined a few. And from there, we have a depiction of the seven moral failings humans often do. According to that theological perspective, those sins create a moral debt for which we need to repent and do penance. Evagrius really thought of things in a different way. He thought of noticing our afflicting thoughts before they become sins is the key to avoiding sin and keeping a pure heart. He was into preventative medicine, if you will. One of the liberative things about understanding Evagrius Ponticus is that we can understand that things like gluttony or lust or fornication, those desires, those temptations, those lures, they are thoughts. And in and of themselves, they are morally neutral. At the moment that we give them attention, energy, focus, they enlarge to become afflicting thoughts, repeated logismoi in the Greek, thought ruts that will torment us and perhaps lead us down a destructive path. The six other afflicting thoughts are avarice, dejection or sadness, which is probably different than what you think it is, wrath or anger, acedia, which is an afflicting thought that permeates our culture right now in post-post-modernity, vainglory, which is another very prevalent thought rut that can lead us into selfishness, and finally pride, which Evagrius talks about in a completely opposite way than Western church fathers tended to talk about pride. We'll get to that eventually in a soul school. So when you feel the discomfort or the disruption of attempting or afflicting thoughts, such as lust or fornication, remember that you are human, you are normal, you are vulnerable. You can wait out the storm front that moves through, or you can give it attention and it can become a trap. Evagrius is a gentle teacher, and he understands, as does God, that we will be tempted and we will sin and we will fail. But that does not separate us from the love of God. Reflection and then repentance is needed every day of our lives for many things. And it is how we keep ourselves unobstructed to understand God's love for us. It's difficult to feel God's love for us if we feel those feelings of guilt and shame. We feel disconnected. We feel insecure and fearful. And so by keeping track of these eight afflicting thoughts, we have more agency in our life. We're not going to be swayed this way and that way by our emotions and our wounds. The book The Wild Land Within talks much more about the inner world than it does about spiritual practice. At the end of each chapter, there is a spiritual practice you're invited to do. 
But what it really tries to reveal is that the inner world is complex, full of shadowy places where we don't know ourselves or we're not sure what's there, and old wounds that happen just by living and experiencing life as a human being. The wildland within works as a kind of companion on a spiritual journey, and it is best done in a group or with a few trusted friends or a spiritual director or counselor. I hope you might give this book a chance. If it gets hard or it gets triggering, you can move to another section of the book. But I encourage you to be brave and look inside your land within. See what's there. Reflect on the things that need to be corrected and join up with others so you don't do the journey alone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find extras and support what I'm doing at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse.